0: 54. G. I gazed about me with troubled and lackluster eye. Every lorn yet in the boxes was leveled at my miserable countenance, a sea of upturned and derisive faces grinned at me from the pit, and the gods in Olympus thundered from on high. Turn him out, he's drunk. This was the unkindest cut of all thus publicly to be accused of intoxication, a vice of all others I had ever detested and eschewed. I cast one indignant glance around me, and left the theater, lamenting the depravity of our nature. Which island, alas, always ready to put the worst construction upon actions in themselves most innocent, for if I had gone to sleep in my own armchair, pray who would have accused me of inebriety? How I got home I know not. As I hurried through the streets, a legion of voices, in every variety of intonation, yelled in my ears, Turn him out, he's drunk. And when I woke in the middle of the night, tormented by a raging thirst produced, I suppose, by the flurry of spirits I had undergone, I seemed to hear screams, groans, and hisses, above all which predominated loud and clear the malignant denunciation, turn him out he's drunk, upon my subsequently mentioning the above adventure to Jack Withers, it will hardly be credited that this villain without shame at once roundly asserted that, when I left him on the aforementioned night, I was at least three sheets and three quarters in the wind, adding with praiseworthy candor, that he himself was so far gone as to be obliged to the infinite scandal of his state old housekeeper, to creep upstairs a quatre pides, in order to gain his bedroom, now this latter may be true enough, for it is probable that friend Jack freshened his nip a trifle after my departure, seeing that he was always something of a drunken naif, as for his calumnious and scandalous declaration, that was in the least degree tipsy, it is too ridiculous to be noticed, I scorn it with my heels I was sober sober, cool, and steady as the north star, and he that is inclined to question this solemn asseveration, let him send me his card, and if I don't drill a hole in his doublet before he's forty-eight hours older, then, as honest slender has it, I would I might never come in mine own great chamber again else, are ye sure the news is true, we learn from good authority that Lord T.A. and of F. Stanley, in answer to a deputation from Scotland, assured the gentleman who waited upon him that, the subject of immigration was under the serious consideration of Her Majesty's ministers, we hope that those respectable gentlemen may soon resolve upon their departure we care not, what line they wander to, so not again to this, or, as Shakespeare says, let them, stand not upon the order of their going, but go, the country, we take it upon ourselves to say, Will remember them when they are gone. They have left the nation too many weighty proofs of their regard to be forgotten in a hurry. Corruption, starvation, and taxation, and the national debt by way of a dose of castor. Peter Borthwick, late of the Royal Surrey Nautical, having had the honour of deep damnation conferred upon his taking off the character of Prince Henry upon that occasion, to appear in unison with the text of the immortal bard, dressed the part in a most elaborate neck or nothing tile. Upon being expostulated with by the manager, he triumphantly referred to the description of the chivalrous prince in which the narrator particularly states cutting at the root of the evil. Good heavens, Sir Peter, said Hubbler, confidentially, to our dearly beloved alderman, how could you have passed such a ridiculous sentence upon Jones, as to direct his hair to be cut off? All right, my dear Hobby, replied the sapient justice, the fellow was found fighting in the streets. And I wanted to hinder him, at least for some time. From again to punch, we have received the following choice bin of poetic pathology from our old friend and jolly dog Toby, who, it seems, has taken to medicine. The dog, however, always had a great propensity to bark, owing doubtlessly to the strong tincture of canine there was in his constitution, my dear punch. Nothing convinces me more of my treacherous memory than my not recollecting you at the memorable, new Boot supper for I certainly must have been as long in that society as yourself, be that as it may, you have induced me to scrape together a few reminiscences in an imperfect way, leaving to you, from your better recollection, to correct and flavor the specimen to the palate of your readers, who have, most deservedly, every reliance upon your good taste and moral tendency, I have in vain tried to meet with the music of, the good old days of Adam and Eve, consequently have lost the enjoyment of the chorus, sing hey, sing ho, it would be too much to ask you to sing it, but perhaps you may to tea to it in your next, may your good intentions to the would-be escalates be attended with success, I remain, dear punch, your old friend, T.O.B. ascites, abdomen swelled, which fluctuates when struck upon the side, serous, face pale and puffed, and worse than that, would thirst and cough beside, serous, skin dry, and breathing difficult, and pains in epigastrine, And watchfulness or partial sleep. With dreams would strike the bravest dumb. To cure restore the balance of excellence and absorbance. With squill. Blue pill. And other means to soothe the patient's torments. Grinder. Sure this is not your climax. Sir. To save from Gaby's locker. Student. Way. mumber i then with caution tap when first tied the knocker. Sing hey. Sing ho. If you cannot find a new plan. Enthusiastic days like these. You'd better try a new man. T-Y-N-P-A-N-I-D-I-S. The swelling here is different sonorous, tense, elastic, on it you might attach to beat. With fingers or with a stick, there's costiveness and atrophy. With features Hippocratic, when these appear, there's much to fear. All safety is erratic, although a cordial laxative, mixed up with some carminative, might be prescribed, with morphia, or hops. To keep the man alive, take care his diet's nutritive. Avoiding food that's flatulent, and each week let him have a dose of punch from Mr. Bryant sent. Sing hey, sing ho, and see. Alarming prospects for the country. It appears that no less than 164 attorneys had given notice of their intention to practice in the Court of Queen's Bench, and eleven of the fraternity had applied to be readmitted attorneys of the court. We had no idea that such an alarming extension was about taking place. And one good turn deserves another a poor man went to hang himself, but treasure chanced to find, he pocketed the miser's pelf and left the rope behind, his money gone, the miser hung himself in sheer despair, thus each the others wants supplied, and that was surely fair, we understand that Mr. Webster has solicited Sir Peter Laurie to make an early debut at the Haymarket Theatre in the air Hair at Law, Madame Vestries has also endeavored to prevail upon the civic mercy, Andrew to appear in the afterpiece of the Rape of the Lock. The heir of APPLEBIDE, chapter X wherein the reader will find great cause for rejoicing, conducive as Uncle Peter's suggestion might have been to the restoration of peace in the family of our hero. It was decided to be impracticable by several medical gentlemen, who were consulted upon the matter. After sundry scenes of maternal and grandmaternal distress, Agamemnon succeeded in obtaining the victory, and the heir was vaccinated accordingly with the most favorable result. The pustule rose. But, blossomed, and disappeared, exactly as it ought to have done, and a few days saw the health of the infant apple bite insured in the office of Dr. Jenner, scarcely had the anxious parents been relieved by this auspicious termination, when that painful disorder which renders pork and wholesome and children fractious, made its appearance, had we the plague pen of the Roman cyst of Rookwood we would revel in the detail of this domesticated pestilence we would picture the little sufferer in the hour of its agony and be as minute as Mr. Human our calculations of its feverish pulsations, but our quill was molted by the dove, not plucked from the wing of the carrion raven, and now, gentle reader, we come to a point of this history which we are assured has been anxiously looked forward to by you a point at which the reader, already breathless with expectation, has fondly anticipated being suffocated with excitement, we may, without vanity, lay claim to originality, for we have introduced a new hero into the world of fiction a baby three months old we have traced his happy parents from the ballroom to Street George's church, from Street George's church to the ballroom, thence to the doctors, and from thence to the end, reproach us not, mamas, discard us not, ye blushing divinities who have, with your sex's softness, dandled the air of apple bite in your imaginations, wait, wait till we have explained, we had a motive, but as we are novices in the style of literature, we will avail ourselves, that our leave-taking, of the valedictory address of one who is more up to the swindle, to the readers of the air of Applebyte. Dear friends, having finished the infantile biography upon which we have been engaged, it is our design to cut off our air, and bring our tale to a close. You may want to know why or if you don't, we will tell you. We should not regard the anxiety, the close confinement, or the constant attention inseparable from a nursery. Did we feel that the result was agreeable to you? But we had not done so. We had been strongly tempted to think that after waiting from week to a week, you had never arrived at anything interesting. We could not bear this jerking of our conscience, which was no sooner ended than begun again. Most passages in a tale of any length depend materially for the interest on the intimate relation they bear to what has gone before, or what is to follow we sometimes found it difficult to accomplish this. Considerations of immediate profit ought, in such cases, to be of secondary importance, but, for the reasons we have just mentioned, we had, after some pains to resist the temptation determined to abandon this scheme of publication, taking advantage of the respite which the close of this work will afford us. We have decided in January next to a rent a second floor at Cavnish Town, the pleasure we anticipate from the realization of a wish we have long entertained and long hoped to gratify, is subdued by the reflection that we shall find it somewhat difficult to emancipate our movables from the thralldom of Mrs. Gibbons, our respected but over-particular landlady, to console the numerous readers of Punch. We have it in command to announce, that on Saturday, November twenty-seventh, the first chapter of a series under the title of the Of Papers, appropriately illustrated, will be commenced, with a desire to supply the hiatus in periodical fiction, occasioned by the temporary seclusion of one of the most popular novelists of the day. Dear friends, farewell, should we again desire to resume the pen, we trust at your hands we shall not have to encounter the L.A. and B.A.D.H. Demosthenes. We are happy to find that Dr. Tully Cicero, Bert Sheridan Grattan, Charles Phillips Globler Bedford has not been deterred by the late and satisfactory termination to the public meeting called by him to address the Queen. From prosecuting his patriotic views for his own personal advantage, Dr. NC Bedford has kindly furnished us with the report of a meeting called by himself, which consisted of himself. For the purpose of considering the propriety of petitioning the throne to appoint himself to be medical advisor in general to Her Majesty, and vaccinator in particular to his Little Highness the Prince of Wales, at ten o'clock precisely drive N.C., see. Benford entered the little back parlour of his surgery, and advancing to the looking glass over the mantelpiece, made a polite bow to the reflection of himself. After a few complimentary gestures had passed between them, Dr. NC. Benford hemmed twice and in a very elegant speech proposed that Dr. N. C. Benford should will take the cheer Dr. N. C. Benford rose to second the proposition. Dr. N. C. Benford said Dr. N. C. Benford is a gentleman what I have had the honor of knowing on for many long years. His medical requirement are sick as our eyes under the end and enter to the summit of the temples of fame. His political requisitions are summarily extinguished. if I and therefore, with no common pride that I second this abomination. Dr. N.C. Benford then bowed to his reflection in the glass, and proceeded to take his seat in his easy chair, thumping the table with one hand, and placing the other gracefully upon his breast, as though in token of gratitude for the honor conferred upon him. Order being restored. Dr. N.C. Benford rose and said, I never caught myself in sick a situation in my life I mean not that I hasn't taken a cheer afore. Perhaps carried one, but it never has been my proud extinction to preside over such a meeting, so numerous in its numbers and suspectable in its appearance. My friend, Dr. N.C. Benford, here, here, from Dr. N.C. Benford, is the hornament of Mater in this 19th cemetery. His prodigious outlays, voice without, here they are, only a penny. Dr. N.C. Benford, order, order is his you know what I mean that she will distinguish the fief shun and the order, I may say the soul is of orders, renders him the most fittest and the most properest person to take care of the royal health, and the royal infant baby of these regions, here, here, from Drive N.C. Bedford, the doctor then proceeded to embody the foregoing observations into a resolution, which was proposed by Drive N.C. Bedford, and seconded by Drive N.C. Bedford, who having held up both his hands, declared it to be carried Nem, con dr n c bedford then proposed a vote of thanks to drive n c bedford for his conduct in the chair the meeting then dispersed after drive n c bedford had returned thanks and bowed to his own reflection in the looking glass a legend of the tower of not london in the immediate vicinity of the pretty little town of Kell stands one of those peculiar high round towers the origin of which has so long puzzled the brains of antiquaries it is invariably one out to the curious, as a fit subject for their contemplation, and may, in fact, be looked upon as the great local lion of the place, it appears almost inaccessible, but there is a story extant, and told in very choice Irish, how two small daredevil urchins did succeed in reaching its lofty summit, and this is the way the legend was done into English by one Barney Riley, the narrator, to whom I am indebted for its knowledge, you see Master Robert, sir- though it's murdering high, and almost entirely quite aquiline in stateness to the old ancient tower of Babel. Yet, sir, there is them living now as have been at the top of that same, be the same token I knew both all the scalpings myself. It's grown up they are now, but when they went daws nesting to the top there, the little blackguards weren't above me high, if so much. But how did they arrive at the summit? That's the wonder of it. But sure nobody knows but themselves but the scamps managed somehow or other to insert themselves in through one of them small loopholes when little Danny Carroll gave Tom Cheney a leg up and a back, and Tom Cheney hauled little Danny up after him by the scruff of the neck, and so they went squeaking and scrumogging until, by dad, they was up at the tip top in something less than no time, and the trouble was all they had a chance o' getting for their pains, for, by the hokey, the dog's nest they had been bruising their shins, breaking their necks, and tearing their freeze-breeches to tatters to a reach was on the outside of the building, and about as hard to get at as truth, or Marcy from a faith of it at the proctor, hubbabu says little Denny, we are on the wrong side now, as Pat Murphy's charity wig was when it came through his hep, what will we do, that hall, that hall, devela no oh, I know, it would make a parson swear after talking at the, do you hear the vagabonds, oh, then my sh- Bad luck to your callings, it's impedance, and nothing but it, to be shouting out in defiance of us, you dirty base, Danny, lad, you're but a little fry flay of a gossoon, couldn't you squeak ya g- yourself through one of them holes? What will I stand or, for the matter o that, as I'm by no means particular, sit upon, when I get out that island if I can, look here, lad, hear a descent word it will be just the dandy thing for yes entirely, go to it with a will and make yourself as small as a little cock Elvin, and then we'll have our revenge upon them aggravation thieves. how the puck he done it nobody knows, but by dad there was his little, ragged, red pole, followed by the whole of his small body, seen coming out of oh, that trap loop there, that doesn't look much bigger than a buttonhole and thin sitting astride the old bin of rotten timbers, and laughing like mad, was the tiny master Danny, robbing the nests, and shouting with joy as he pulled bird after bird from their nate little feather beds. This is elegant, says he, here's lashings of em. How many have you? says Tom Cheney. Seven big U.N.s full-fledged, with feathers as black as the priest's breeches on a good Friday's fast. Seven is it, it island, well, then, hand them in, by no means. Why not, see ain't there as well with me as you. Give me my half then that's your, A.I.Z. with you who's had the trouble and the chance of breaking his good-looking neck but me. Mr. Timcini. Devil it here I care, I'll have four. Or I'll know why. That you'll soon do, I won't give em you. I'm I holding the wood. By course you are, but I'm I sitting outside upon it. And by the same token and seating my best breeches, I bid you take care, give me four. Ha, ha, what about your granny was. Mr. Timchini, it's three you'll have, or none. Then by the puck I'll let you go. I defy you to do it, you murdering robber, do you, my dad, once more, give me four, To blazes with you, three or none, then there you go, and, worse luck, sure enough he did, and that at the devil's own pace, at this moment I turned my eyes in horror to the tower, and the height was awful, poor child, of course he was killed upon the spot, there's the wonder, not a haportho harm did the vagabond take at all at all he held on by the bird's legs like a little magor. he was but a shimping of a chap, and what with the flapping of their wings and the soft place he fell upon, barring a little fright flay of stunning, and it may be a small matter of fright, he was as comfortable as anyone could expect under the circumstances, but it would have done your heart good to see the little gossoon jump up, shake his feathers, and shout out at the top of his small voice, Tim you thief, you'd better have taken me three. 4D and the dog do you get now. And so ends the legend of the round tower. Irish intelligence. Awful state of the country. From our own correspondent, we are at length enabled to inform the public that we have, at a vast expense, completed our arrangements for the transmission of the earliest news from Ireland. We have just received the overbought mail, which contains facts of a most interesting nature. We hasten to allay our sagacious correspondent's remarks before our readers. Ballyhog Ettera Tuesday night, Punch will appreciate my unwillingness to furnish him with intelligence which might in any way disturb the commercial relations between this and the sister island, more particularly at the present crisis, when the interests of that prosperous class, the London-baked potato vendors, are so intimately connected, with the preservation of good feeling among the temporary growers. However, my duty to Punch and the public compel me to speak. I do feel that we are on the eve of a great popular commotion. Every day's occurrences strengthen my conviction. Ballyhoggitera was this morning at sunrise disturbed by noises of the most appalling kind, forming a wild chorus, in which screams and bellowings seem to vie for supremacy. Indeed, words cannot adequately describe this terrific disturbance. As I expected, the depraved wood journalist, with characteristic mental tortuosity, has asserted that the sounds proceeded from a rookery in the adjoining wood, aided by the braying of the turfman's donkey but an enlightened public will see through this paltry subterfuge. Rooks and donkeys. Pooh! There cannot be a doubt but that the noises were the preparatory war whoops of the ferocious and sanguinary people. We believe the Whig editor to be the only donkey in the case, that he may have been a revengy at the time is also very probable. No later than yesterday the Clunacilty Express was stopped by a band of young men, who savagely ill-treated our courier, a youth of tender age, having attempted to stone him to death. Our courier is ready to swear that at the time of the attack, the young men were busily engaged counting a vast store of ammunition, consisting of round white clay balls baked to the hardness of bullets, and evidently intended for shooting with. I have to call particular attention to the fact that a countryman was this day observed to buy a threepenny loaf and on leaving the baker's to tear it asunder and distribute the fragments with three Confederates, an act which I need not say was evidently symbolical of their desire to rend asunder the corn laws and to divide the landed property amongst themselves. The action also appears analogous to the custom of breaking bread and swearing alliance on it, a practice still observed by the inhabitants of some remote regions of the Caucasus. I must again solemnly express my conviction that we are standing on a slumbering volcano, be thoughtless and inobservant an may suppose not, probably because in the present teetotal state of society they see nothing of the crater, taking a sight at the fire. A man bearing the very inapplicable name of Virtua was brought up at Lambeth Street last week, on the charge of having stolen a telescope from the Ordnance Office in the Tower on the morning of the fire. The prisoner pleaded that, being short-sighted, he took the glass to have a sight of the fire. The magistrate, however, saw through this excuse very clearly, and as it was apparent that Virtue had taken a glass too much on the occasion, he was fully committed. Joe Hume's forthcoming work We have received the following note from an old and esteemed correspondent, who, we are rejoiced to find, has returned from a tour in Switzerland, where he has been engaged in a prodigious work connected with the statistics of that country. Reform Clubhouse, dear Punch, knowing the interest you take in anything relating to the advancement of science, I beg to apprise you that I am about publishing a statistical work in which I have made it perfectly clear that an immense saving in the article of alone might be made in England by importing that which lies waste upon Mont Blanc. I have also calculated to a fraction the number of pints of milk produced in the canton of Bern, distinguishing the quantity used in the making of cheese from that which has been consumed in the manufacture of butter and specifying in every instance whether the milk has been yielded by cows or goats. There will be also a valuable appendix to the work. Containing a correct list of all the inns on the road between Frankfurt and Geneva, with a copy of the bill of fare at each, and the prices charged, together with the color of the postilion's jacket, the age of the landlord and the weight of his wife, and the height in inches of the cook and chambermaid, to which will be added, ten minutes advice, upon making one shilling go as far as two, if you can give me a three-day penny puff in your admired publication, you will confer a favor on your sincere friend, Joe Hume the romance of a teacup, sip the first, in England one man's made it to a one woman, to spend their days in holy matrimony in fact, I have heard from one or two men, that one wife in a house is one too many but, be this as it may, in China no man who can afford it shuts himself to any fixed number, but is variously encumbered with better halves, from twenty to a hundred, bees to provide for in a pleasant way, and, maybe, to avoid their chat and worry, he shuts open a harem night and day with them contriving all his cares to vary a point of policy which, I should say, sweetens the dose to men about to marry, for, though a wife's a charming thing enough, yet, like all other blessings, quantum self. So to my tale, Teapot the Multifarious was, once upon a time, a mandarin in personal appearance but precarious, being incorrigibly bald and thin but then so rich, through jobs and pensions various, gotten by voting with the party in, that he maintained, in grace and honor to, sixty-five years, and spouses fifty-two, fifty-two wives, and still he went about peering below the maiden lady's veils indeed. It was said but there hangs a doubt of scandal on such gossip whispered tales. He had a good one still to single out for all his wives had tongues, and some had nails and still he hoped, though fifty twice deferred, to find an angel in his fifty-third, in China, mind, and such outlandish places. A gentleman who wishes to be wide looks round about among the pretty faces, nor for a moment doubts they may be had for asking, and if any of them, nay, says, he has his remedy as soon as said for, when the bridegrooms disapprove what they do, they teach them manners with the bastonado. Near Teapot's palace lived an old Chinese about as poor a man as could be known in lands where guardians leave them to their ease, nor can the poor open bastilles of stone. He got a livelihood by picking teas, and of possessions worldly had but one but one the which, the reader must be told, was a fair daughter seventeen years old. She was a lovely little girl, and one to charm the wits of both the high and the low, and Teapot's ancient heart was lost and won in less time than to it take my pen to tell how, so, as he was quite an experienced son-in-law, and, too, a very wily fellow, to make high son his friend was no hard matter, I ween, mean, with that specific for parents flattery, but, when they two had settled all between themselves, and T. Pop thought that he had caught her, he found how premature his hopes had been without the approbation of the daughter who talked with voice so loud and with so keen, that he thought all his Mrs. T's had taught her, and, finding he was in the way there rather, he left her to be lectured by her father, pray, what were women made for, so she said, though heaven forbid I join such tender saying, if they to be accounted are as dead, and strangled if they ever are caught straying, tease well to give us diamonds for the head, and silken gods for festival arraying, but wear of dress or diamonds is the use if we mayn't go and show them, that's the deuce, the father answered, much as fathers do in cases of like nature here in Britain, where fathers seldom let fortune slip through their fingers, when they think that they can get one, he said many things extremely true proving that girls are fine things to be quit on, and that could she accommodate her views to it, she would find marriage very nice when used to it, now, she's no task to talk a woman into a love, or a dance, or into dressing fine no task, I've heard, to talk her into sin too, but, somehow, reason don't seem in her line, and so miss high son, spite of Kath and kin too, persisting such a husband to decline the eager mandarin issued a warrant, and got her apprehended by her parent, thus the poor girl was caught, for there was no appeal against so wealthy lovers fiat, she must and be a wife of his, and so she yielded him her hand demure and quiet, for ladies seldom cry unless they know there's somebody convenient to cry at and, though it is consoling, on reflection such fierce emotions ruin the complexion, fashionable intelligence. Yesterday Patty Green honored that great artist William Hogarth T. Nyers Raphael Banks, Esquire with a sitting for a likeness, the portrait, which will doubtless be an admirable one is stated to be destined to adorn one of Mr. Cadmock's ballads, namely, the monks of old, which Mr. P. Green, in most obliging manner, has allowed to appear. William Paul took a walk yesterday as far as Houndstitch, in company with Jeremiah Donovan, a pair of left-off and mentionable cis confidently reported to be the cause of their visit in the Far East. The Lady of Patty Green, Esquire, on Wednesday last, with that kindness which has always distinguished her Caused to be distributed a platter full of trotter bones amongst the starving dogs of the neighborhood. From information exclusively our own, and for whose correctness we would stake our hump, we learn that James Berg, the honored member of the PR was seen to walk home on the night of Tuesday last with three fresh herrings on a twig. After supper, he consoled himself with a pint of fourpenny ale. Charles Mears yesterday took a ride in a Whitechapel omnibus. He alighted at Aldgate Pump. That which he took a draught of water from the label. He afterwards regaled on a couple of polonies and a penny loaf. The unkindest cut of all. Jones, the journeyman tailor who was charged before Sir Peter Laurie with being drunk and disorderly in Fleet Street, escaped the penalty of his frolic by an extraordinary whim of justice. The young Schneider, it appears, sported a luxuriant cropo.